Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Ken loves talking all about cars, past, present, and future. Here he is, that automotive nerd with a historical twist, Ken Chester. Welcome to this second hour of Roadworthy Drive. So glad you could be with us. I'm Ken Chester. For this hour, there will be some more rummaging around for news from the parts bin, as well as a focus on the following topics for discussion. The world's first electrified charging road, a look at the life of the over-the-road truckers and the attempt to increase their numbers, and finally, and I know you've been looking for this, an Uber update. Despite bad press, things of note are still happening over there, and we have the scoop. All that and more along with the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack, the designated adult, the controls, and Lady Sasha, the brash, sunny, and sassy one, holding it down a mic, too. If you're a first-time listener, it's easy to connect with the show. Call or text the Roadworthy Drive line at 872-222-9793. That number is good 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Ask a question, make a comment, suggest a topic for discussion, it's all good. If email is your preference, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. I would love to hear from you. Hey, my peoples. Hi. Hello. I was beginning to wonder if we were going to get a chance to say hi. No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, I noticed for first hour, we just kind of like, howdy, my peoples. And we were like, eh. But now mm-hmm. that we've had some sugar and we've got, you know, got a little bit more pep in our step. I want to know about this electrified charging road. That's next segment. Dude. Oh, but mm-hmm, I want to mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. now. Okay, yeah, well, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to hold on there. Ken, what is in the parts bin? This well, week? before I before I get there, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. Really? Yeah, you no. want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Let's start with some truth and <laughs> let. Thank you, Jack. Let, okay. Let's start. Let's start with some truth and right here. Okay. Midwestern drivers are road warriors. Yes, we are. The current average age of a car on the road today. Oh, is, <laughs> is twelve years old. That doesn't wow. surprise me. With over a hundred and two thousand miles. Okay. Now here's my thing. When you say 12 years old, mm-hmm. you have to understand that I'm still thinking that 12 years ago was like 1996. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Hey, no. Where's the buzzer when you need it? No. Thank um, you. But it does not surprise me about the high miles, though, because most of us out here, we don't necessarily live. Okay. But hold on a minute. Okay. That's national average. Oh. Midwestern uh-huh. is 35% more. Yeah. Average for Midwest, where we're at, mm-hmm. 153,845 miles. Mm-hmm. And, again, and again, that doesn't surprise Does not me, surprise me either. Me My wife just traded a vehicle in uh, just shy of 200,000. Yeah. Now, did, was she the first owner on that van? Yes. Okay, so you brought that van brand new, mm-hmm. maybe like, you know, 10 miles on it. Yeah. And then she rode that or drove that thing until just shy of 200,000 miles. Give it take a couple thousand miles. Yes. Right. And see, that does not again. They, uh, took, they took it out behind the barn. Shut. <laughs> right? Did they even allow it to be made into a washer and dryer set? Uh, I think it went straight <laughs> to Maytag. Right. Yeah. Um, now, 
by comparison, in the mid-Atlantic states of New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, they're 17% below average. They're coming in at about 84,542 miles. And where are they at with average year of ownership? Um, well, they didn't get into that by by, point. by region, um, but they did get into mileage by region. And this was average car mileage for last year. Okay. Well, and it, well, and it doesn't surprise me because out here in the Midwest— You have to drive it, anywhere if and, you want to go somewhere. Well, yeah, but again, we are a little more fiscally conservative. Yeah. We're, in other words, that's nice for saying we're tight-fisted with our money. We Pretty are, much. though. We are, though. I mean, we still—we're not, you know, so much so that we're going. We're not going to spend more money for our automatic transmissions, but we, okay, we are— Okay, wait, but wait a minute. We're going to have our pickups, though. <laughs> we are going to have our pickups. Well, no, yeah, look, exactly. We're going to have our pickups. <laughs> and have no need to go off-road at all whatsoever. Only but- 5% <laughs> of the people who have all-wheel drive ever do. Well, but again, out here in farm country— uh-huh. You know, a lot. You see a lot of the pickups in the fields. Mm-hmm. Sometimes voluntarily. Sometimes, sometimes involuntarily. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, on that note, mm-hmm. Pininfarina is going to build an electric car. Say what? Can you say that three times fast? Pininfarina. Pininfarina. No. Pininfarina. Farina. Farina. Okay. What, what is this? Uh, they are an Italian design house. <laughs> Okay. That has designed vehicles for pretty much every major automaker in the world at one time or another. And, in fact, even built low-volume vehicles. For example, the Volvo C70, mm-hmm. which was a retractable hardtop, they built it. Oh. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that okay. was a nifty car, too. Missed that thing. Um, they want to build their own electric vehicle. Aren't they a little late to the party? Not really, because their approach is luxury. And they're, they're looking at reaching out to people who are in the sustainable luxury, targeting buyers who tend to be collectors, treating automobiles more like rare art than daily transportation. And it should for the price they're asking. What are they asking for the price? Two and a half million dollars a copy. Wow. Jack? Yeah. No. Could it, come on. I couldn't even get the whole thing out. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we could do a timeshare on it. No, that's not up. even remote. That's close not to that the kind problem. Of <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing will do 0 to 62 miles an hour in under two seconds, oh. and we'll have a range of more than 300 miles. Now, Jack. That's pretty good. See? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two and a mm-hmm. half million dollars. However, for- with all the competition out there, like Porsche, mm-hmm. who's been leading in yes. e-vehicles and yep. some phenomenal vehicles. Yep. Uh, Tesla, Model S. Yes, and absolutely. All, and a host of others, BMW, Mercedes, et al., mm-hmm. Volvo, all coming to market with something. It's not a guaranteed deal. Unless they make the ride absolutely positively, like what you said, it's a driving work of art. You know, unless it's like one of those things where you could basically own what essentially is like a concept car or uh, like a futuristic. This is an d- Italian design house that, that they actually have designed stuff, not just cars, but from office buildings to fountain beverage dispensers to even video projectors, believe okay. it or not. Do they have pictures of what they're hoping to put on the market? I did not see one. Uh-uh. Okay. Uh, again, Pininfarina. I'm glad that you got okay, that down. Okay, are you done with this topic? Pininfarina. How, how long did he spend with Google Voice until he got that pronunciation <laughs> I have wrong? no idea, but Ken, I want to ask you the question. I am proud of myself, okay? 
Boy, can you tell that? I know, right? Exactly. He is a glow. I am. Yes, he is. I am. I am proud I got it right. The glow is coming off of his bald head. (laughs) Wow. And yes, I went there. Ouch. Okay, Ken. All right, just are for that, we, Cadillac. We, uh, thank you, because that's where I was going. I, I Cadillac. Get, I want to get Sasha's. I want everybody uh, else to hear Sasha's take on that. Okay, uh-huh. very quick. We talked about, and in fact, I believe Cadillac was one of the first ones we talked about, a subscription service. Correct. Ba- basically, where you pay a certain amount of money a month, you have everything handled, maintenance, insurance, taxes, everything. Yep. And it allows you to change up. Uh, so often, so that you can have different vehicles for different needs okay, at and, different times. And you told me in the production meeting that some of those numbers have changed. Yeah. When they when they started in New York, it was 1500 a month. Mm-hmm. They've gone up $300. It's no. 1800 now. So now we're $1,800 a month. They've also expanded to L.A. and Dallas. Okay. They're looking at expanding at more locations over this next year, but they didn't say where. Okay. Uh, they did a small private test in Munich, Germany last year. Mm-hmm. So they're going international as well. Okay. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I looked at the Cadillac dealer's website here, mm-hmm. and they had an Escalade ESV mm-hmm. for $90,000. Oh, it's cheap. <laughs> Maybe in your pocketbook, but not mine. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that if I had the $1,800 a month, mm-hmm. I could walk into that dealership and say, I want that. Mm-hmm. If they were offering me this program, mm-hmm. and they would handle everything, maintenance, mm-hmm. tires, mm-hmm. everything. Everything. Okay. Now, three or four months later, let's say, mm-hmm. or let's say 30 days later, mm-hmm. I'm getting tired of driving this. I want something else. Mm-hmm. Can I go back to the dealer and Cadillac pick will up let you, Cadillac will let you change your vehicle, get this now, 18 times a year. What? A year. Uh, I can I can have eighteen year. different vehicles in a one year time period. Theoretically, yes. I mean, and I could just change it because I'm tired of work, driving something black, so I want to trade it in for a blue one. Yes. I mean, if I had the eighteen hundred dollars a month, it would be a moot point. It, just, just saying. No, no, no. I would do it yeah. because that way, if Bambi decides to jump up, ain't mm. my problem. Yeah, wouldn't be. Uh, but Canvas, though. Canvas is the mo- mobility. Edge of the future. Yeah, from mm-hmm. Ford. We're from still Ford. wait. Yeah, they. You're still waiting for them to talk to you. <laughs> oh well. Coming up, the world's first electrified charging road. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. just spin their wheels. But now there's a snow tire for tough winters. A Goodyear Suburbanite polyglass tire.
It's the kind of rugged tread you need to tame a top, top winner. With more than 150 big cleats. Built deep to bite deep. The Goodyear Suburbanite Polyglass Tire. The snow tire for tough winters. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Okay, now do what? we really have to explain to the younger crowd that we have here? <laughs> Bias play tires? That, that we used to have to have two sets of tires for every car, especially those of us in the Midwest. You had a summer set, you had a winter set. Or at least you had two tires for the back. Correct. You had your rear winter tires, which may or may not have had studs on them. Studs! Studded uh, tires! But they're called Bias Ply, which was in the days way back when, when the earth was young... Uh, before radial tires, which was roughly before 1970. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back when my mom was like 10. Oh, stop it. But anyway, studded tires. And I have to ask this, and I asked this off the air. Stop. Stop it. Um, they glass in your tire? Woven belt. These tires were made of different belts of different things, rayon and so- other synthetics. Uh-huh. And it, it was a belted uh, and interwoven design. Uh-huh. Underneath the tread. So it can bite hard and bite, bite deep. That's what the commercial says. That's what the commercial says. Welcome back to Road Will Be <laughs> He's Ken Chester. Go on, sir. Thank you. Thank you. One of the topics we talk about on a regular basis is the evolution of electric vehicles and the infrastructure they require. Now, I've made comparisons to when the gasoline-powered motor vehicle first started applying the roads of America. There were no gas stations, automobile repair shops, or the like. Even good roads were far and few between, especially when you traveled outside of the cities. But the motor vehicle caught on, and there were millions of them on our streets and highways. I believe that the electric vehicle will catch on only faster. Almost no maintenance, drastically fewer moving parts, no fluids or adjustments to speak of, not to mention no pollution and oh-so-quiet. Yeah, what's not to love, right? Not to mention falling battery prices. It's against this backdrop that I introduce what may very well be the next chapter in our march towards electric vehicles, as I introduce the world's first electrified road for charging electric vehicles. Now, we talked about this a couple months ago. Um, not this one. Not this one? No. This okay, I thought, I thought we talked about that, but we were also talking about graphene paint, if I remember right. Yes, correct? but this isn't graphene paint. Okay. What happened is in Sweden, and this is actually evolution for Sweden. Uh, two years ago, Sweden uh, developed a, a road with an overhead cantonary for trucks to, to charge while they were driving. Now, these were hybrids. These were diesel trucks that had electric motors but would pick up and recharge the batteries along this stretch of road by taking the cantonary and coming up and picking up the power. But it was all automatic. The driver didn't have to do a thing, Okay, okay. which was pretty cool. To give you an idea how far they've come in just two years – now they've got a system where they're actually putting uh, the power in the road six inches underneath the road, and it's wireless. And a vehicle goes, well, no, I'm sorry, it's not wireless, but there's an arm that goes down into the road and picks up the charge. Okay, here's my question. If somebody's walking along this road, can they get shocked? No. Yes, uh, no. repeatedly. No. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, ignore Sasha. Go on, yeah. man. So is this kind of like a reverse uh, uh, trolley car? In a way. Okay. The beautiful part is, and they even make this point, that even if you flooded that cavity with salt water, 
that the resulting current above the ground would only be one volt. You could walk across it with no problem. Okay. And it's interesting to note in Sweden, this is Sweden, winter. Right, right. Because that's usually the big question. Does this thing work in wintertime? The answer is yes. In fact, they are looking at doing this over many thousands of miles of their, st- of their highways. Do they happen to mention, one, a, um, <clears throat> a cost, and two, are they, when they have their winters, obviously, Sweden, do they also put down a brine that is similar to what they do? They didn't do go here? that far, okay. and I don't think they need to. All right. The beautiful part is they say that to convert a mile of highway mm-hmm. is less dramatically less cost than putting in a mile of uh, electrified trolley car. Okay. If you but, they, wanna, but they still didn't give you a number. Um, they didn't. They they said, well, let's see. What are they saying here? Um, they thought that they could. Um, no, they're not saying. Okay. They're not saying. But it's it's cost effective. It is not cost prohibitive. Okay. Bottom line. All right. Is what we're talking about. But here's my point. They went from. My, I mean, if you look at uh, the Internet, for example, back in the day we had dial-up. Mm-hmm. Then we went to hardwire Ethernet. Mm-hmm. Now we're Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Sweden's gone for an overhead cantonary to in the ground. What's the next step, I think, is maybe they've come up with a wireless charging based on either what we thought, like graphene, graphene. which conducts electricity. Yep. And if you painted it and you powered it, boom, there you are with a wireless induct- induction because we talked about a company that got a patent to basically uh, conduct wireless electricity up to three feet away from a charging location. Yep. Through so, the air. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think these things are coming together. And it's going to be amazing. Um, one other thing I want to throw at you is how about a Swedish developed uh, electric vehicle? That will emit 75% less carbon than the mainstream EVs built in a plant that is 100% automated and looks nothing like anything you've ever seen. And they expect to build this state-of-the-art factory, fully automated in southern Sweden, with a production capacity of 50,000 of these, starting in 2020. They, they expect to build it by 2020. That scene from that movie... And, in fact, they are saying, and by fully automated, this is a direct quote, uh-huh. the company means you basically feed the ingredients into a box and a finished car comes out. Wow. That's what they're talking about. It's called the Unity, um, and that's U-N-I-T-I. It doesn't look like anything you've seen. I believe it will carry two people. Uh, they're looking at prices uh, in American dollars of between 18004 to just over 24005 Oh, depending okay. depending on the model. Um, well, what gets me is a two-passenger. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? <sighs> Even what they're talking about, you can get a uh, uh, a rebate from the, from the government of almost $5,000. And the local utility says you won't even have to pay for the electricity to charge it at your home for the first five years. They give you that free. Wow. Sweden. Sweden. Next... Keep on trucking. The challenge of finding drivers. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. You're tuned to 
to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. This is the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for dropping by. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you who want or need more than your fair share of the road, you should check out our show website. That's roadworthydrive.com. Discover audio clips of past shows. Watch video of our behind-the-scenes goings-on in studio each week as we tape the show and more. It's also a great place to discover our activities in the world of social media. Sasha is our official, official (laughs) social media diva. Did he give you a contract that says it's official? Uh, it's official. Okay. <laughs> Keeping things interesting, fun, and lively with her postings of interesting and unusual automotive tech during the week between shows. And trust me, you want to see how she keeps the social in our social media. Of course. Uh-huh. And now, another place you might want to consider checking out is vintageautomotivemedia.com for your vintage automotive literature needs. Originally, original factory manuals, sales brochures, magazines, and more in both eBay and Amazon stores. Vintage Automotive makes it easy to get your vintage automotive literature desires met. And trust me, my store, you'll like it. You will like it. Indeed. It's a great place. Awesome. Now, for this segment, it's all about the challenge of trucking companies to find, train, and retain over the world cross-country truck drivers for their tractor-trailer rigs. Now, we have talked about in the past uh, the growing shortage of people willing to enter into that profession, and more importantly, how automation may do more to save the industry rather than displace workers. And, Ken, I can tell you this. On my Facebook feed, I am constantly receiving ads for yes. trucking companies yep. who are saying 3000 4000 5000 Guaranteed 10, home 000, every weekend. Guaranteed home every weekend. $10,000 signing on bonus mm-hmm. yep. or, or less. Yep. And it's like these guys are trying. They're throwing everything in the kitchen sink at this because they cannot either get or keep enough drivers. They wow. can't. And that's the problem. There's a slim pipeline of new recruits. First of all, you come out of high school. Used to be back in the day. You want to drive truck? You can drive truck. Yep. <laughs> problem here. To get your CDL, you got to be 21. That's the first problem. Second problem. To get your CDL, you're going to spend anywhere between $2,000 to $8,000 hard money out your pocket unless you team up with a trucking company that will teach you. Now, I know of a trucking company in this state because a friend of mine went through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got her CDL. She signed with them for signing bonuses a few years back uh, and had to drive with them because she had to get through the program. For in order. a certain number of years. Of yeah, years, I think yeah. it was two years. It was either yeah. one or two years. And then she jumped companies. And that's a lot of that going on. Oh, yes. Amen. You know, I mean, if you can get a signing bonus, you know, why do I stay here and I can make more money, get better routes and whatever? Yep. But it's a tough job. I mean, you're looking at um, – that the schools that d- turn out these drivers mm-hmm. uh, this past winter had the lowest number of enrollment they've had in 15 years. Well, I mean, I remember back when I was younger, trucking was the way that if you were like just turned 21, 22, didn't have a family, you would truck for maybe five, 10 years, right? 
And then you'd be able to retire. I mean, you made darn good money if you were going, you know, across well, the nation on your routes and you didn't need to be home. I mean, it was really but here's, good money. But here's the combination. That model doesn't work for a lot of people anymore. No. no Plus, uh, unemployment's at a 20-year low. And uh, the, t- the pool of workers that trucking companies typically pull from, um, also construction companies and other companies like that pull from. Well, so, yeah, because I can tell you, as a contractor, we it, it got to the point where we couldn't find good help. Yeah. Let me put it to you this way. Last year, last year, well, this past February, let me fix it that way. This mm-hmm. past February, the trucking sector added 5,600 jobs. Now, construction and manufacturing, which also pulls from that same pool, yep. same period, construction increased to 61,000 Manufacturing increase of thirty one thousand. The truckers are choking because they've got the business. They got they got loads to haul. They can't find drivers to drive. Well, and what my question becomes is, honestly, what are they paying these guys? They're paying them by the mile, correct? It depends. If you're a company truck driver, you're probably getting an annual stipend. If you're an owner operator, and these numbers don't include owner operators. Uh, you're getting paid anywhere between 40 to 60 cents a mile, and it really kind of depends on you know the load you're carrying, where you're going, whether it's what you turn around, what yeah, whether you're turned around or not, what kind of additional tags you've got on your CDL to haul certain types of loads. And the other, <clears throat> and the other question is, if you can get a load coming back, there's also a bonus for that too. If I'm if I remember, yeah. Right. But see, right. the the kicker is. Uh, again, my friend who bounces all over the country, and she talks about the nightmares of waiting for loads and trying to get from here to there. Mm-hmm. You've got federal laws up against you. You can only drive 10 hours uh, a day. Yeah, in a 24-hour period. Yep. Uh, plus, in the middle of all of this going on, uh, they said that, let me give you some numbers. Average age of a truck driver today, an over-the-road truck driver. Someplace probably between 40 and 45. No. It's older. Um, it's up from 42 in 2002. Today's average truck driver over the road is four to 500,000 people doing cross-country over-the-road trucking. Mm-hmm. The average age, 49. Wow. Now, let me blow your mind. Average age. That means the middle, which means you've got people as young as 21 and theoretically as old as their mid to late 70s on the road driving truck. Right. Well, I've got a friend that he says each and every time when they hire somebody in, it's the drug tests that boot them out yep. every single time yep. when it's the younger crew. There's more drivers leaving the industry than coming in. Yep. And to make things even worse, uh, all that driving behind the wheel uh, makes trucking 70% of over-the-road truck drivers are obese. Yeah. And now you've got the health requirements and stuff that when you test for your CDL, you have to meet these income or these uh, health requirements. Otherwise, you're not renewed. Mm -hmm. So the problem is you've got truckers who are retiring. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough truckers coming in. Um, This is a recipe for autonomous over the road trucking, which is what we're seeing. I don't see how it goes any other way. So hang on. Are you saying that for the cross country part of this? You would do it automated for everything else, regional, local, whatever you want to call First it. First mile, last mile. Would, would probably be done by a human driver. And right. would probably be easier to get somebody, again, for all the reasons Sasha talked about, home every night, 
You don't drive weekends. You know, so if you're a family man or a family gal, you're home with your family every night, Well, and it's which one is of a the, big deal. It's one of those things where it's not so much the industry booting out the workers. It's that there's not enough workers to support the industry. That and the fact that the lifestyle is pretty demanding. If yeah. you're family-oriented uh, or you're community-oriented, you're never in one place. No, yep. you're not. You're waiting for loads, driving, in treacherous and all kinds of weather. You're always confronted with a deadline of get that load there by this time for that space to be able to unload it, get a new load. Uh, you've got equipment issues that may mess with your money if you're an owner-operator. Just a lot of different things. So we will continue to keep an eye on that. Finally, down but not out, a world of Uber update. This is Roadworthy Drive. Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. If you're just joining us, this is the last segment for this hour of Roadworthy Drive. So glad you could be with us. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Up, down, sideways. Uber continues to have quite a year, most of it not in the best light. However, with a new CEO comes a new direction. Despite the company's setbacks, most notably that accident with one of their self-driving vehicles killed a pedestrian last month in Arizona, Uber keeps on, keeping on, by making deals and remaining relevant in the fast-moving landscape of mobility and autonomous vehicles. I've got three little tidbits I want to share with you with what's going on in the world of Uber. Dad, do we really have to talk about Uber? Yes, we got to talk about Uber. Darn. Uh, Let's start with this. Uber is launching a rental car service inside its app. Okay. Here's the messed up part. Uber is launching a rental car network in partnership with a peer-to-peer car sharing service called GetAround. So if you ain't got a car but you want an Uber... No problem. You can literally pay to borrow somebody else's car to Uber as a driver. That sounds completely... In the words of my executive producer... What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Who's held for reliable... Oh, I got a ton of questions. I have a list number one. Yeah. The new Uber rent platform is scheduled to launch later this month in San Francisco. will make cars from GetAround's network available to the users of the Uber app. Get Around is peer-to-peer car sharing, which allows uh, private owners to rent cars for a fee and allows people to rent from them. So you can be stylish and not own a thing. What do we do about somebody tearing up my car? Well, I'm assuming that, number one, just like anybody else who would enroll in a Get Around, the Uber drivers would have to fast certain muster. Driving record would be one. Proper well, insurance would be another. Hold on. How in the world are they going to get car insurance if you if they don't own a car? Ah, but here's the thing with GetAround. Typically with these car sharing services, mm-hmm. that's already part of the package. They take the risk. They provide that through a third-party insurance carrier. Okay. Okay. My first question is, I have a car. Mm-hmm. I am going to rent the car out to somebody who is going to drive my car, let's say, while I'm at work for Uber. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there a handover 
slash hand back over person that is going to take my car, do a walk around. If there are any nicks, is there any okay. bumps, is there any dents? The feature didn't get in all of that. Okay. Okay, so I can't answer that. But I will tell you that Get Around uh, has, operates in 10 cities, had managed to get, raise, they, they were founded in 2009, raised $88 million from investors. Uh, keyword, are you ready for this? Including Toyota. I, I mean. Yeah. Okay, Sasha. Wait a minute. It gets. Let hold me, on. Hold on. I got to get to this. This okay, is the best part. Get to that. Then I want to talk to Sasha. Get around sees its car rentals, which can be booked by the hour or the day as complimenting Uber and Lyft's on-demand rides and helping move Americans away, wait for it, from private car ownership. I mean. Go ahead, Jack. Okay, Sasha. Why is it? That every time you and I start asking Ken questions, <laughs> and I realize this is not his fault. Right, right. I will own that up front. Uh-huh. But why is it these writers don't seem to understand that there are those of us out here that actually I'm think? Going to, I'm going to actually say the word. <gasps> we think. Right? Yeah. I mean. and But wait a minute, people. I, there's, there's more. Of course that there was is. Just, that was just one Uber story. Right. I got another one for you. Of okay. course you do. Number yeah, because there's three. Number two, Uber's new driving app, of driver course. app, mm-hmm. identifies areas with the best fares. Can you say redlining? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. now, 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 now. For those who might not understand that term, define redlining. Okay, redlining is a term used in real estate, typically back in the 60s and 70s, where banks and realtors identified neighborhoods either to keep minorities out or neighborhoods where minorities were uh, shown where they could live. So in other words, if someone of color wanted to live in a better neighborhood, typically redlining would prevent you from being shown a house in that area. Okay, I'm assuming Uber's legal department has thought this out. Well, let me, let me read term. this. Now, redlining is my comment, okay? Because okay? I'm like, with the new app, Uber makes it easy for drivers to recognize where surge, boost, and incentivize areas are located. They say, now, say you're in a slow area. We may actually suggest a place to go instead because it's much busier. And in this way, you get a little bit more information about what's happening around you. Again, Jack, what could possibly go wrong? Okay, Sasha. Yeah. So I'm driving Uber in Miami. Uh Uh-huh. Where is the most action probably going to be? South Beach. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now all of a sudden South Beach is absolutely flooded with all of these Uber drivers and nobody driving else, somebody else's vehicle. <laughs> no, nobody else around Miami can get service because everybody's down in South Beach it, trying to take advantage of the money that's, that's Which there. means if you're in the hood trying to get an Uber, it ain't going to happen. But wait a minute. I got a third story. Of course you do because all great things come in threes. Uber is buying Jump the maker of electric bicycles, after a bike-sharing test in San Francisco. I just... Yeah. Uh, so if you're in a bad... If you're in a low-paying part of town, we got a bike for you, though. Yeah, they do, actually. Do they? Are they going to offer a bicycle built for two? Uh, probably no. not. Here's my but, question. Did you say that was an electric assist bike? Yes. Okay. Uber has found that the average distance of a ride on a jump bike is about 2.6 miles, which is not much different from how far customers travel on an average for an Uber car ride. Each bike is also being used six or seven times a day. 
The problem with jump, though, these are dockless bikes. What that means is when you're done, you put it wherever. And cities and towns are having issues with dockless bikes uh, piling up at, like, stations or wherever on sidewalks. I miss this. She's cracking up. I obviously She's miss having it. a moment. She's having just, a moment. I'm just imagining this guy just riding this electric bike, and then, you know, he just, okay, I'm done here, and just kind of let it flop over there on the sidewalk. There are pictures in China of just that. And who picks them up? Ah, yeah. The and local this, neighborhood robber? Yeah. The dockless <laughs> bikes, like, jumped or picked up wherever the last rider left them. Some cities have complained that dockless bikes have become a nuisance. Clogging mm-hmm. sidewalks are left damaged. Sasha, and this is a word. It's in the piece, Sasha. Uh-huh. Strange locations. Strange locations. I did not make this up. I just... Um, jump bikes before Uber bought them raised $10 million last fall. And received permission from San Francisco to start operating a bike-sharing service with 250 battery-powered vehicles. They also operate 200 bikes in Washington, D.C. This is the end of our weekly visit together. Be sure to tune in next time when we do this all over again, if you can believe it. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.